0: When we see something that is new or, or something that, that, that we hadn't considered before, a, a new insight, um, something that, that is presented to us as, uh, as something different, we can have a few different reactions to that. I suppose the worst reaction when that something different is, is something that God is revealing to us. I, I think probably the worst reaction would be ho-hum. Yeah, Whatever. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't mean much to me. But if it does mean something to us, uh, it would seem to me we have a couple of options there as well, sort of naturally where you're going to say, oh, no, or aha. If you want to maintain a religion of law, when you hear the words of Paul in Romans chapters 3 and 4, you'll probably say, oh, no. When Paul says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law, as we read in chapter 3, verse 28 last week, when he says this to his Jewish contemporaries, these would have sounded like words to wreck their religion. So, Paul uses the extreme, supreme example of human righteousness in Jewish history, the father of the Jews. Abraham to prove his point. In fact, the religion Paul is wrecking is largely one of human invention and what he is actually doing is unveiling the real truth and the true faith that has always been there with God's people. During his ministry, Jesus made the shocking statement, and you can read it in John chapter 8, verse 48, before Abraham was, I am. Paul examines the scriptures concerning Abraham, and he helps us discover that indeed what Jesus said not only helps us understand who he is, but also helps us understand what the Jewish religion truly was and is. It's about Abraham, but it's also, first and foremost, about Jesus. Ironically, Romans 4 leads us to the politically incorrect, in 2019 AD, as it was in 64 AD, conclusion, That apart from Jesus, we cannot come to any kind of accurate understanding of Judaism. Now, if you are in the process of being gospelized, hearing Paul's words here in Romans will make your eyes get wide as you cry out, Aha! Today's text helps me see more clearly how truly wonderful is the special relationship between Yahweh God and his people, the Jews. And what a blessing it was to be part of such a people. I pray that I will be able to help you see this too. Something new has opened up to me. I've tended to think the Christian faith is is like the completion, the fulfillment of Judaism. This chapter has helped me see that it is much more. As long as I've known about Abraham, I've realized that he was the father of the Jews, and so, through them, the father of us Christians. Now I've seen that he was actually father of believing Christians before he was father of the Jews. And I've been reminded again about the essence of the gospel, which is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Real righteousness is always a gift before it is any kind of achievement. And here's one last aha for us in our mainline church. It's about the sacraments. Our participation in the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, does nothing, absolutely nothing, to make us right with God, to make us right with God. Taking communion and being baptized cannot be necessary works toward salvation. If we treat them as such, we throw ourselves back into a religion of law At the expense of a relationship of grace and faith. And that is a very bad trade. Instead, the sacraments are signs and seals of salvation, justification before God that has already taken place. It's like the rite of circumcision was for Abraham, which you read about in Genesis 17. It's independent of his being declared righteous by God, which we read about in Genesis 15. It was many years after Abram was declared righteous before God that he received the right. After God saw his faith and credited to him as righteousness. And all of this is 430 years before the law was given to Moses. And you can read about that in Galatians chapter 3, verse 17. Well, let's take a look at our text for today. It's Romans chapter 4. Hear the word of God. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless. Because law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were against all hope. Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would help us to understand these things according to your truth, according to your will for us. Lord, we pray that that you would help us to see these things, maybe some new ideas for us and to be able to say, aha, aha, Yes, that makes a difference, a huge difference for me. And I pray these things in your name and for your sake, amen. So what we see here is that a religion of law is superseded by a religion of grace. What did Abraham discover about this? And what does he help us to discover? The Christian faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ does indeed fulfill and complete the Jewish religion. But it does much more than that. Real righteousness has always been a divine gift before it is a human achievement. Verse four, now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation, However, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Was Abraham's designation as righteous something he earned with God, a wage God was obligated to pay? No. It was something God chose to credit to him by his grace. Nothing Abraham did, including his faith in God, earned him this credit from God. Abraham's righteousness is God's gift to him first. It is the same way with us. So any religion of law, whether the divine rules are called Jewish, Muslim, or Christian, is incomplete and potentially misleading. Traditionally, Abraham came to be seen by the Gentiles as a man whose perfect keeping of the Torah, the law, earned his favor with God for himself and for future generations. Paul says, no way. The law didn't even show up for another four and a half centuries. It was gracious credit. Oh no, or aha, Abraham was father of the Gentiles before he was father of the Jews. We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 9, under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham that he had before he was circumcised. Some two decades or so before he was circumcised, Abraham was justified by God. In that moment, he became the father of all who believe. His becoming forefather of the Jews was a subsequent specification of an original fatherhood of all who believe, namely of Gentiles. That's a quote from James Edwards in his commentary on Romans. What a shocker for people who prided themselves on remaining separate from Gentile dogs And took even more pride in calling themselves the sons of Abraham. That Abraham was the father of Gentiles before he was father of the Jews. Oh no? Or aha? So, the essence of Christianity, God's grace in Jesus Christ, not only fulfills and completes Judaism. The religion of the Jews, as I have long understood, it actually brought it into being. Grace made Abraham righteous, and so through him grace brought a people into being. A people with a special vocation to be God's instruments of redemption for the whole world. It has always been about God. It has always been about grace. It has always been about Jesus Christ, even before his name was known. James Edwards summarizes this beautifully in his commentary. There is not one way for Jews to be saved and another for Gentiles, but all have Abraham as their father, who is the prototype of saving faith. God did not institute salvation by law in the first covenant and salvation through Christ in the second covenant, but salvation through faith in both covenants. Justification by faith is not a late idea, not an emergency measure instituted when a crisis developed in the original plan but the oldest and truest idea of redemption conceived by God in love before the foundation of the world, exemplified by Abraham of old and consummated by Jesus in the fullness of time. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. So how are we to respond? Follow Abraham as our father in the faith. What did he bring? What did God see in him? Not rule keeping, not earned wages, but simply faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. To Abraham's eternal credit, he chose to put his trust in God. He chose to believe God even when it seemed impossible. Easy? Listen to James Edwards again. Faith is not an inoculation against the germs of life. Faith is a fierce struggle. The hardest thing in life is to believe God above circumstances. Abraham looked paradox squarely in the face and said still I'm putting my trust in God picking up and leaving home and setting out for a place to be named later and only imperfectly settled by later generations having a child far past childbearing years nearly sacrificing that son of the promise because God said so Let us not go back to a religion of law which is very easy to do as Jews, Muslims, and many, many Christians try to do quite naturally. To do so is to try to go back to something that never really existed. Don't make our relationship with God about the good things we do and the bad things we don't do. Make it about the good news of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And then about our thankfulness expressed in actions. Let communion, when we celebrate it, in our tradition, once a month, the Lord's Supper be what it is supposed to be since Jesus instituted it two millennia ago an act of faithful obedience, earning nothing and signifying everything. Is this a contemporary issue? Yes, it is. We are always tempted, pushed to throw ourselves back into some kind of religion of law. Frankly, I think it's quite natural for us to do so because we human beings have this, this drive to make it about us, anything and everything. We have this natural bent, being alienated from God, sinful people in a broken world, to want to place ourselves as best we can at the center of the universe and get everything else to revolve around us. A religion of law helps us to do that, even as Christians. Trust in Jesus for salvation and then all of a sudden it's about how well we believe, how well we worship, how well we respond, the things that we do right. You know, God really couldn't do without us, could he? And that is putting ourselves back into some kind of religion of law. Even as we're proclaiming that we're evangelicals and it's all about Jesus. The little, the little footnote, well, it's really about how we say it's all about Jesus. Jesus. It's very difficult to escape. God help us. He is. He will. He gives us his word. He gives us the example of Abraham. We are not a religion of law. We are not about being good people and expecting others to be the same. We are not about having good rules and mostly keeping them. We are about Jesus Christ. His love his grace. We are not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word that blesses us, that tells us the truth. Lord, I thank you for the freedom that you offer us that we can rest in you. We can lean into your completed work for us. We can depend on you to do for us what needs to be done and so we can live in freedom. We can live doing well, being As righteous as we can possibly be, not because we need to to earn something that we must have, but as a gift back to you, as a way of recognizing and saying to you that your love for us means everything. Your grace for us in Jesus is all we need, and we are grateful for what you've done for us. We're grateful for who you are for us, and we're going to show it to you by living according to what you say. We can, we can be righteous people not because we're earning anything with you which we don't need to do but because you are helping us to see that that is actually the way that we live and experience the fullness of life and the fullness of blessing that you would give to us. That sin is stupid in every manifestation and we don't want to be stupid and you're helping us to be wise and that's a good reason to be righteous but we do so under your grace and mercy and love so that we can live in this gift giving reality that you have made us for Lord, help us. Help us to do that, each of us. And help us to do that together as your church. And I pray all these things in your name and for your sake. Amen.